good morning, everybody. Good morning and happy Mother's Day to you, all of our moms. It's wonderful to have you here. So grateful to be able to uh, celebrate this wonderful day with all of you. Uh, I know my mom's watching at home. Everyone say, hey, Libby. And uh, the Ronzavals can't be with us this morning, so I know Joy's watching at home. Say, hey, Joy. Everyone turn around. Look. Good. <laughs> awesome. You know, let's kick off this uh, rehearsal for heaven by celebrating God's amazing grace. Are you ready? And I want you to get those hands warmed up nice and warm. Here we go. Just like this. All right, let's sing, church. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless? In awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. And this is, this, this is, is amazing grace. Yes. This, this is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would. That you would bear my cross. And you laid down. You lay down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for All that you've done for me All that you've done for me Who brings the chaos Back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. All right, sing it, church. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. And we sing worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's right. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 
Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Sing it out. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. And this is, this is amazing grace. Unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You lay down, you lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for. All that you've done for me. All that you've done for me. This is amazing grace. I'm so grateful for what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do in our lives and in this church. As long as we're following him, Pastor Gary likes to say, as long as we're following him, our best days are ahead. Our best days. Let's praise him for what he's done. See, on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life. Grace flowing from His side. No greater sacrifice. What He's done. What He's done. What He's done. All the glory and the honor. To the sun, my sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. And sing, sing for the freedom He has won. Even death is dead and done. His life has overcome. Speak, say the name above all names, over every broken place. He is risen from the grave. What He's done. What He's done. Oh, what He's done. All the glory and the honor the sun, my sins are forgiven, my future is heaven, I praise God for what he's done, he's on his throne, now on a throne of majesty, the Father's will complete. 
He reigns in victory. Yes, He does. Sing hallelujah to the King. He is worthy to receive all the worship we can bring. What He's done. What He's done. Oh, what He's done. All the glory and the honor the sun. My sins are forgiven. Yes, my future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Once again, church, sing it out. What He's done. Oh, what He's done. All the glory and the honor to the sun. My sins are forgiven. Oh, my future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. I praise God for what He's done. Amen. So much to praise Him for, right? Why don't you have a seat for a second? I want to encourage you to turn your attention to the screens. We've got a special video where some some really cool kids are being interviewed about uh, their moms. And it's heartwarming and hilarious. So check this out. Okay. Say take one and then smack it down. Action. What does your mom talk about a lot? Mostly stuff that I cannot question and I don't know about. Reading. She's trying to get me into reading and I just don't get it. Taxes. She doesn't talk about stuff she always thinks. She always thinks about Beyonce. What's something your mom's always telling you? Stop talking about the iPad. No iPad. Go brush your teeth. How does she know you didn't brush your teeth? <laughs> she just knows. I can't. You can't remember? Oh. No, I can't. Oh, that's okay. Clean my room. Is your room get kind of dirty? Kind of. Kind of? Kind of. Would your mom say it's kind of dirty, or would your mom say, this is dirty? Kind of. Are you getting tired of my questions? Kind of. Kind of. Does she sing, like, worship music? It's only my dad who sings worship music. So your dad sings worship music, and your mom sings Beyonce? Yeah. If your mom was a superhero, what would her superpowers be? Fast, so she can just get the laundry done, because we always have so much laundry. Why would she need super speed, you think? So she wouldn't be late anymore. <laughs> Making people's ear hurt because how loud she sings. She'd just go, and it would just stop the crime. What does she do at work? She looks at people. or She looks at people? Well. That kind of sounds like Facebook. <laughs> no. Usually it's just messaging. Just messaging. Just more, more, me- more and more messages. Just constantly. So, how does your mom know that you love her? I tell her that. You tell her that? Yeah. Do you guys say it at the same time like you just did then? Or no. no. Um, I give her hugs. We, we play outside and we ride our scooters and bikes. How do you know that mom loves you? She does kind of stuff. Yeah. For me, she does my hair pretty and... And she always, always sings to me. 
She cooks really good chicken, spaghetti. She gives us hugs. Mom hugs are the best, aren't they? She says, you know what? And I say, you love me. And she's like, how do you know that? Because you always say it. Yeah, she always says it because she loves me. It's time for me and my brother. She's fine to her whole family. Why is your mom the best mom in the world, do you think? The only reason is because it's my mom. You love her just because she's mom. Mm-hmm. I love that. Awesome. Do you have any questions about my mom? Nope. Not interested at all about my mom? Nope. Okay. Fair enough. Great job. <laughs> yes. Well, moms, you are worth celebrating. And we love you, and we appreciate you, and we cherish you, and um, just thank you for all that, all that you are and all that you've done and are doing. Um, we are grateful for you, and I want, to st- I want to invite you to stand one more time, and I want to just uh, have us worship God one more time together uh, with an attitude of, of gratitude, just with gratefulness in our hearts. And... Um, So let's do that. All right, let's sing. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. And I give thanks. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Lord, I am grateful. When I was down, when I was down, you brought me out. You set my feet on higher ground. So here I stand. You are my God. Your faithfulness. My solid rock. We give thanks, church. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget. All the battles you have won, your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Lord, I am grateful. Let's give thanks one more time, church. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. 
Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done. I won't forget all the battles you have won. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. Lord, I am grateful. grateful? Uh, that's a good state of mind to be in. Let's have a seat uh, for a second, everyone. I'm going to turn it over to Elsa here for a moment. Well, good morning, and again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, well, I just want to highlight a few things. We do have connection at SVC, and you can connect either through small groups or through serving, and there are plenty of opportunities that you can find um, on our SVC app. Uh, if you need more information about our app, we do have a little yellow flyer on the back info table that you can grab, and it can show you tons of things that you can do through our app there. Um, I also want to highlight we have coffee with a pastor. It's every Wednesday, 4 p.m., at the Journey Coffee on Chadburn Road. And for those of you who are curious to know what coffee with a pastor is all about, um, it's for anyone who wants to meet with one of our pastors for any reason. If you have a question, a ministry idea, or you just want to chat over some coffee, they're going to be there for you. It's at 4 p.m. again on Wednesdays, and if that's not a good time for you, just let them know, and they'd be happy to arrange a different time uh, according to your schedule. So just feel free to contact either Matt or uh, Pastor Gary. Oh, and it, oh, it's their treat. You don't even have to buy them coffee. They'll buy you. Unless you want to pay. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, we are going to, we're excited. We're going to have a baptism celebration. If you've decided to follow Christ but haven't been baptized yet, we encourage you to celebrate your new life in Christ by obeying Jesus' command to be baptized. Jesus told us to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And baptism doesn't save you, but it does show the world that you have been saved. It symbolizes that death to self, that burial and resurrection of Jesus, and it's your public declaration that you have started a new life in Christ. So May 29th will be our next baptism, and if you can reserve your spot today by just at the back table again, our welcome table, there is a sign-up sheet that you can put your name down. And also, we are going to have Picnic in the Park. After service on May 29th, we'd like to invite you all to join us at Wood Creek Park for Picnic in the Park. Um, feel free to bring something from home or pick up something along the way. This is just a time to hang out after church, connect over a meal, and enjoy this beautiful weather together. Right now, we are going to worship God with our offering. Proverbs 3.9 tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And as you know, to honor someone means to show great respect or high esteem towards them. So honoring God helps us to lift our eyes off of ourselves, set them on him, and give him center stage in our lives. 
There are five different ways that you can give. You can visit our website by going to www.salonavalley.org forward slash giving. You can also tap the give button on that fancy SVC app. You can also send a check to 1307 Oliver Road in Fairfield, 94534. And you can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 707-883-3019. And then if you're here in person, you can place your offering. We have a silver mailbox slot on the back wall there behind the sound booth. So feel free to do that. Again, thank you so much for your generosity and helping to build God's kingdom which is right here in Fairfield in Solano County. At this time, we would like to encourage you to greet a neighbor, wish them a happy Mother's Day, or just say hi, and go right ahead. Welcome a new person. All right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. I want to invite you to stand with us one more time. To worship the Lord of our salvation. The grace of God has reached for me.
on the solid ground. The Lord, the Lord is my salvation. I will not fear. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love, and my debt is paid, and the victory won. The Lord is my like him who is like the Lord our God strong to save faithful in love my debt is paid and the victory won the Lord is my salvation
Lord is my salvation. Oh, glory be. Sorry. Like the Lord I got strong to save faithful in love my debt is paid and the victory won the Lord is my salvation the Lord is my salvation one more time church the Lord is my salvation. Let's take a moment to pray, church. Father, we thank you so much for providing salvation for us through Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, God for who you are and for all you have done. We are grateful. We are grateful for you. We are grateful for our moms, for the mom figures in our life. We give you thanks and praise for them and for all of the many ways that you have blessed us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat, church, and I'd like to ask you one more time to turn your attention to the screen for a special message from Pastor Gary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Solana Valley Church. Really glad you could be with us today. I am Gary Ronsval, pastor of Solana Valley Church. Really wish we could be with you this morning. Unfortunately, uh, I was supposed to be in Los Angeles today helping our, our youngest daughter, Faith, move out of school out of her uh, apartment for the semester, uh, but I came down with COVID, as many of you know, and according to the doctors, I might still be contagious. That's the reason I can't be there today, but doing a lot better, so just want to say a big thank you to all of you who've been praying for me. Uh, number two, real quick, I want to say a happy Mother's Day to every mom who is with us today or every mom who may be watching, and today we want to make the moms around us uh, feel special, whether they are uh, our moms or our daughters or our wives or a friend or a sister, uh, we just want to go out of our way today to really make moms feel welcome and to feel special. Uh, third thing, today uh, it is a joy for me to be able to introduce to you uh, Andrew Pack, and I really hope we're able to have Andrew again in the future when I can actually be present. But Andrew is just a really neat guy. Uh, I've been getting to know Andrew in recent months. We've been getting together from time to time for lunch. Uh, Andrew is uh, a former roommate of our son, Caleb, uh, who recently got married. He actually helped bring uh, Caleb and his wife, Jessica, together. So thanks, Andrew, uh, for your part in that and uh, was a part of the wedding. Uh, but I really like Andrew a lot. I, he, Andrew is a thinker. Uh, he is seminary trained. He is a reader. Uh, and he reads well, I know, because I uh, watch the kinds of things he posts on Facebook, and so I kind of know who he's reading. And uh, But I think Andrew's going to be really good for us today. So, Andrew, you're up, buddy. Thanks for being here. And uh, you guys, I look forward to being with you again next week. We'll see you. Good morning, church. Good morning. That was very generous of Gary. Um, I really enjoy getting together with your, your guys' pastor. He is... Uh, just a man of God, 
uh, one of the most generous people I've ever met and obviously uh, benefited from being with his son as a roommate. I did, in fact, help him and Jessica get together, but I, I can't really take credit because I feel like I just sort of gently pushed him through a door that he was already wanting to walk through. <laughs> so, But hey, you know, I'll take all the credit I can get, I guess. Um, it's an honor and a, a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you, first of all, let me just say, thank you so much for having me. Um, it is an honor to be at the pulpit. I bring nothing to this pulpit except for the sin which Jesus needs to pay for. And so I thank you so much for allowing me the privilege to be here. I don't, do not take it lightly, and uh, it's an honor. Uh, again, my name is Andrew Pack. I am uh, actually the college and young adult pastor at Creekside Christian Church in Elk Grove. Um, I, I'm originally from the Bay Area, though, and I moved to Sacramento a couple of years ago, and that's how I got connected with Caleb. And, you know, today, as Mother's Day, I was, I was actually just reflecting this morning. It is a special holiday because the whole reason I'm a Christian is actually because a widowed single mother of three uh, brought me to church when I was a kid. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, to this day, I'm the only Christian in my family. And yet, this, uh, I had a neighbor that was a, a single mom, and I would hang out with her kids, and we all kind of got to know each other. And she, one day, she invited me to church, and I literally went to church, I kid you not, because I heard that there was candy there. <laughs> I was like, dude, if there's candy at church, like, I got I to gotta be there, right? So I would, I would show up to church, and um, trust me when I say, I wore out so many children's workers, like, <laughs> I was that rascal kid, you know, that, that all the, the children's workers would dread, and they're like, oh, Andrew's here. Like, <laughs> Jesus, help me, right? And, um, and you know, I went, I went to church for years. Didn't, didn't believe uh, until the beginning of high school when an evangelist came, but uh, Denise was, was her name, uh, the single mom, and she did not give up on me. She was raising her family by herself. She was a widow. And yet she also loved me into the kingdom. And so today I'm remembering her, and uh, I'm just so thankful for God's providence and sovereignty, right, in bringing me into the kingdom. Uh, Mothers, your your work is not wasted, um, either in who God has designed you to be as well as the family that you've been entrusted with and are shepherding. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 13. We're looking at a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly about what Jesus says the citizens of the kingdom are to be like. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. This is what it reads. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. You know, when we look at this passage here, there are really three different categories and concepts that Jesus uses to speak to those who are listening, to describe what the citizens of the kingdom of God, which is the church, you and I, are to be like. And they are salt, light, and fulfilling the law. And with each of these, Jesus is giving us very specific logic for how a Christian ought to live out their life within this world that we are in. And so there are three different things. All right? So the first thing is we're called to be distinct as salt. Number two, we're called to be witnesses as light. And number three, we're called to be righteous and holy in our fulfilling, fulfillment of the law and our keeping of the law. So we're called to be distinct, we're called to be witnesses, and we're called to be righteous and holy. So let's go ahead and take a look at each of these three categories and see what Jesus is saying. So first of all, we are called to be distinct, right, as, as a salt of the earth, as, as we just read. You know, when I was growing up, um, our family always had two fridges. We'd have a fridge inside and then a fridge outside. And uh, I am Korean-American. Uh, my parents actually immigrated over from Korea at different points, and then they met over here. And so the reason why that's important is because the outside fridge had a very particular name. It was called the Gimchi Fridge. How many of you guys have ever had Gimchi before? By a show of hands. Maybe not. If you don't know what it is, I'm going to describe what it is. Gimchi is essentially the national dish of Korea. It's very popular in the Korean diet. And essentially, it is fermented spiced cabbage. It's kind of like sauerkraut, if anyone's ever had sauerkraut, but it's the Korean version of that. But the reason why we kept the gimchi in the outside fridge is very simple. It's because it smells horrible. It smells very bad. Uh, one day, as a matter of fact, whenever we would have gimchi for like dinner or lunch, and I was going to go out you know, with friends, my parents would always be like, you need to take a shower, you need to brush your teeth, because if people smell that gimchi on you, like they're going to get upset, and I'm like, okay, it's fine. You know, I'd always kind of getting the squabbles with them. But one day I was talking to my, uh, to my parents about what they did for refrigerators to make sure things didn't go bad. I was like, well, where would they put this gimchi back in the day? Did everyone just like smell bad all the time? And one of the things that my dad told me was that instead of refrigerators back in the day, what they would do in, in Korea is that they would stick their, their meat and their vegetables in these underground cellars. They would, they would dig kind of these cisterns, and they would stick their vegetables and their meat down there, and they would use salt to essentially cover all the vegetables and, and the meat that they had to preserve it. As a matter of fact, that was actually how gimchi was invented. So it's, it's salted, fermented cabbage. And what would happen is that they would try to store their cabbage, you know, for the winter or whatever, and as it was spiced and salted, it would ferment, and then it created the national dish. And the rest of the world knows it by how smelly it is. So these days, why do I say that example? Well, these days, we often think of salt's primary function as an ingredient which adds flavor. So we think, okay, like something tastes a little bland, we'll, we'll pour 
a little bit of salt on it. And in a sense, Jesus is saying that Christians do bring flavor to the world. That is one application, right? So historically, many of you may not know this, but Christianity has always been a major influence in cultivating learning and cultivating the arts. And the reason why is because Christianity had this view of creation, that though creation was flawed and fallen, fundamentally God created the world good and beautiful. And so Christians throughout history have always been a people which have tried to cultivate that and draw that out to bring flavor to the world. However, in Jesus' time, what's important to understand is salt's primary function back then was not not as something that added flavor, but it was a preservative. That's mainly how people back in the day understood salt's function. It was something that preserved. It was something that help to fight off decay. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, what Jesus is saying is, Christians are meant to be a sort of holy preservative in the world. That by their very place and existence, we are to fight against moral and spiritual decay. And that by us, as citizens of the kingdom, living, existing in this current kingdom of the world, we're to be a preservative for that which is good. But notice, however, what Jesus goes on to say in verse 13. He says, you're, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot or in other words salt's effectiveness as a preservative as something which brings flavor it's ultimately dependent upon its ability to retain its distinction in other words what makes salt salt is the fact that it's salty i know that sounds kind of redundant but the power lies in its difference not its sameness So similarly, the beauty and the strength of Christians lies in their distinction from the world, not in their conformity to the world. Right? If you were putting salt into something that tasted uh, like the the salt was not salty anymore, it just it was bland, or it tasted like the thing that you were putting it into, then the salt wouldn't have any power. It wouldn't actually create anything. And similarly, when Christians look no different from the world, we're like salt which has lost its taste. We're no longer good for anything. We become ineffective and useless in our witness. We lose, when we lose our distinction, we lose the very thing which makes us beautiful. You know, as Christians, I think one application from this is that we should not bemoan being different or distinct from the world. I think it's very easy, I think, in in our current culture um, to often be frustrated by the fact that Christians maybe feel marginalized or maybe feel like we're we're on the fringes or perhaps they even feel like because we're Christians, um, we're just different and it makes life difficult in, in some ways. And yet throughout the scriptures, what Jesus is affirming again and again and again is you aren't like the world. You are not of this world. As a matter of fact, we should expect suffering. 
We should expect persecution. We should expect that the world will not understand, that the world might revile us, that the world might um, have trouble understanding who we are as a people. See, in actuality, when Christians do end up looking like the world, it's often embarrassing at best or completely disastrous for Christianity's reputation at worst. As a college and young adult pastor, I hang out with college students, obviously, all day. And college students are an interesting breed. One thing about college students is a lot of them are discovering their identity. They're discovering who they are. And a lot of them are going to universities or they're in friend spaces where the fact that they are trying to be a committed Christian is odd to the people that they're around. And one of the things that's very popular nowadays is the kind of talk of uh, relevance. You know, like, we need to be relevant. We need to be relevant. And part of, sometimes scarily, what relevance is meant to look like is, well, we need to be, uh, in order to connect with the people in the world, in order to tell them about Jesus, we need to be like them. Listen to the same music, dress like them, even talk like them. And because of, and some of that I'm not, Against, but there's a lot of it where what is often well intentioned, it ends up actually being a hindrance. Because as they try to, in the name of relevance, be like the world, they're also subtly communicating to them that since Christianity doesn't have to look any different, they have literally no reason to try to change to the people that they're reaching out to. See, even if non-believers think that it's cool, quote-unquote, that Christians can also get drunk or that Christians can also have a loose sexual ethic or that Christians can also be materialistic, right? We don't have to be that radical. We don't have to be that committed to, like, so hardline when it comes to the commands of Christ, right? We, we can be relevant with the world. Whenever you do that, what you're communicating is that Christianity doesn't require sacrifice. That it doesn't require actually dying to yourself, picking up your cross, and denying the world in favor of the world to come. And so what I often tell college students is, from the get-go, I will not lie to you. To follow Jesus is to live a different story than the one you're living now. It will require change. It will require being a disciple, which is picking up your cross and following him. But Jesus says that if you lose your life, you will find it. We are called to be distinct as kingdom citizens. And yet we're also called in our distinction for a very particular purpose. And the purpose is that we're called also to be witnesses. And witnesses particularly in the way in which we live our lives. So number one, we're called to be distinctive salt. But number two, we're called to be witnesses as light. Notice that when Jesus calls us the light of the world, the examples of light that he uses in verses 14 and 15 are very specific. So first he says, you're the light of the world. You're a town built on a hill. And then he says, you are a lamp. Now, in those days, right, let's start with the town built on a hill. In those days, most cities in the ancient Near East were actually built on hills. 
Um, as a matter of fact, when you go to Israel uh, today, I actually spent a semester studying abroad in Israel when I was at school at Moody Bible Institute. And what's fascinating is every time you go to an archaeological site of one of the ancient Near Eastern cities, it's always something called a tell. And th- that word tell is, is Hebrew for hill. So they call their archaeological sites hills because that's literally what they are. When you go there, like all the archaeological sites of cities are built on hills because cities back in the day were built on hills. And the reason why they were built on hills is because being built on an elevated position was a natural defense against invaders. Right? If an invader would try to come, if, it, if it's an uphill battle, if you have high ground, um, you're automatically at an advantage. And then you, if you couple that with building a wall, um, as you are in an elevated position, you have even more defense. And a common phenomenon also that would happen, right, is that because these cities were built on hills and because they were cities, like groups of people together, often at nighttime they would be easy to spot, right, because all the lights in the city would be on, torches and different things. And so back in those days, if you were traveling at nighttime, that was extremely dangerous, because there wasn't, you know, street lights or anything like that. You're, it's total darkness. And a lot of times bandits or marauders would be lying in wait in the dark on the, on the roads. And so as night was falling, you would absolutely want to be at a city. Well, as people were traveling from place to place, what was advantageous to them is that they would see cities on the horizon because the cities were built in elevated positions on hills, and it would be a city on a hill. And so when Jesus says, you're like a town built on a hill, see, the readers would have immediately understood what he was talking about. Jesus also says, you're like a lamp. No one puts a lamp under a bowl but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And most likely what he was referring to was an oil lamp that was commonly put on stands in houses at night to light up households. In those days, most houses in the ancient Near East were one room where everyone kind of slept and, and hung out together. And usually at nighttime, right, there's no electricity. It was very dark. And so what they would do, though, is that they had a very par- particular stand that was built in the center of the household. And they would have a one oil lamp that was kind of like a family um, oil lamp. And they would put that on the stand. And a lot of times when families were hanging out together in the evening after a long day's work, they would congregate around this oil lamp and just talk and hang out and laugh and eat. And so Jesus was using imagery that his hearers would have been very familiar with, a city on a hill for weary travelers on their way to safety, a lamp by which people can congregate around and find light in their household. What is Jesus' point? Christians are not meant to be secluded from the rest of the world. If you notice, in each of these examples, there's a coming together of people around the light which is illuminating, whether it's in a household or in a city. Christians are not meant to be secluded from the rest of the world. But Jesus' expectation, as a matter of fact, is that Christians would be explicitly seen in the world. We're not meant, we are meant to be witnesses to others by letting our light shine before them that they may see our good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. A pastor that I served alongside with used to say this all the time. He said, faith is personal, 
but it is not private. Faith is personal, but it is not private. We ought to demonstrate that we are Christians by the way in which we live our lives. And notice, notice this. Notice that the light that we are shining is not saying no to is not simply saying no to sin. Now that's certainly important. We're required to be holy. But it's not just saying no to sin, it's actually saying yes to good works. He doesn't say, let your light shine before others that they may see your abstinence from sin and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It says that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There is a positive fulfillment to this command. See, to truly follow Jesus is not just about not doing certain things, but it is also about actively doing what Jesus himself demonstrated. Serving the poor and the marginalized. Welcoming and caring for the broken and the hurting. Loving those who have been cast aside. And what Jesus is saying here also ties in with him saying that we are the salt of the earth. Because when we are God's distinct people, when we are the kinds of people who not only distinctly say no to sin, but also distinctly serve others and do good deeds, it is who we are as citizens of the kingdom in this world, that bears witness to our Father who is in heaven. And this is important to understand. You know, the early church, the early church, the reason that it grew was because people saw that Christians were distinct. And they were distinct in the ways that they actually, through their good deeds, through the things that were unexplainable, except because of the gospel's power to transform lives and perspectives, it grew from a tiny sect in a tiny corner of the Roman Empire to becoming over 10% before it was ever officially recognized as, as a religion. Do you guys know, um, back in the day, uh, many of us, we, we, we kind of understand evangelism as maybe... You, you know someone, you have a conversation with someone uh, about who Jesus is, and then you say, okay, well, come to church. And then when they come to church, maybe they, they really hear the gospel fully explained. And many of us have that concept of evangelism. Back in the day, in the early church, you couldn't invite people to church. Because if they came to church, they might be an imposter, and they might actually report on you to the empire, the Roman Empire, and you could go to jail. So... How did people get saved? And the answer is people got saved because individual Christians in their workplaces, in their communities, in their families bore witness to the gospel and by the example of their changed lives sparked curiosity in those around them. And it was only after they gave their lives to Christ that they would actually come to church because then it was safe. Because then they actually knew, okay, like this person's for real. Not only that, but Christians made a huge impact on the world by their good deeds, which were unexplainable, like I said, to the people around them. So back in the day, um, whenever babies were born with defects or they were born with maladies, oftentimes uh, what society would practice was something called exposure. There was a a kid that they didn't want. Um, They would actually leave him out in the wilderness outside the city to, to die. And Christians 
were notorious for actually going outside the city, finding the, the babies that were abandoned to die, taking them in and raising them. As a matter of fact, the Roman Empire got really annoyed with Christians for doing this because they would say they've taken in so many people that have been left out that now they've, they've formed whole communities of, of people that are discarded, discarded, poor, marginalized, whether they had birth defects, whether they had mental disabilities, the Christians are the ones that go out and care for them and love them. But we don't know what to do. Why is it that these Christians are doing this? What change has been made in their life? And as the curiosity grew, it gave the church the opportunity to proclaim it's because of the gospel. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, that they may see your love for the poor, that they may see your care for the marginalized, that they may see the way in which you lay your life down for others, and in seeing your light, that they may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's the way that the church has grown from generation to generation by his people being a distinct people who follow Jesus' commands in loving the loveless. So we're called to be distinct. We're called to be witnesses in the way in which we lead our lives and bring glory to him. But the primary way in which both of those things are accomplished, the way in which we are distinct and the way in which we are witnesses, is that Jesus calls us to be righteous and holy. Look with me in Matthew 5, verse 20. You know, this verse right here can seem very alarming when you first read it. Matthew 5.20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? What, what, what is Jesus saying here? Now, some of you guys, you may know your Bibles well, and you, if you do, one of the things that you know is, weren't the Pharisees like the most strict observers of the Old Testament law, all 613 of them? Weren't they, in the eyes of the Jewish law, much more righteous than you and I? If you guys remember, Paul himself, the apostle, he affirmed this when he described himself as a Pharisee in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. He said, as to the law, as a Pharisee, I was zealous. Right? I was blameless. And Jesus is saying here, in Matthew five twenty, that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, Unless you are more righteous than them, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that is pretty alarming. I mean, how is it possible that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees? Pharisees who, by the time that they were 15, had probably memorized the entire Old Testament. Pharisees that, by the time they were going into adulthood had already spent a lifetime observing the Old Testament law. How is our righteousness meant to exceed that? Well, the answer is, is that Jesus actually addresses how we're meant to be righteous in describing his relationship to the law. What does Jesus say about his relationship to the law? 
Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, verse 17. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What does that mean? The law and the prophets, when Jesus says, you know, the law and the prophets, he's, he's using a term for the entire Old Testament. Right? The entire Old Testament Jesus has come to fulfill. But he's calling special attention to the Torah, to the first five books of the Bible. See, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. What does fulfillment of the law mean? And the answer is, Jesus came to fulfill the purpose of the law. And the purpose of the law was twofold. Number one, it was to show our inability to meet God's standard of holiness and perfection due to our sinful condition. And number two, it was to point us to our need for a Savior to deliver us. And when Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled both of those purposes. Galatians three nineteen through 22 says this, Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, or Jesus, to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given to angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures had locked everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. What is this passage saying? The law is not just about giving us standards which we need to keep to the letter. Rather, the purpose of the law was to show the depths of our inclination toward sin. So why will not uh, an iota or a dot that's a literal translation of what Jesus says. Right? Why, why would not even the smallest letter of the law pass away until all is accomplished? The reason why is because God's standard of true, real, authentic, inward holiness and righteousness does not change. Right? The law will not pass away because God's, law, God's character does not pass away. The law is not going to pass away, not an iota, not a dot, because God, God's holiness does not pass away. But in the gospel, in Jesus Christ coming in the place of sinners to die for us and redeem us by his blood, what we find is that Jesus came to fulfill the law by meeting God's perfect standard and becoming the one who could deliver us from sin. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, one of the most glorious passages in scripture. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are a sons, God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. We have been adopted into his family. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. How did Jesus fulfill the law? Jesus was born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And Jesus has, by his blood, adopted us into the family of God. 
where we are freed from the bondage of sin, where we are transformed from slave to son and daughter. See, Jesus fulfills the law not by abolishing it, but by truly keeping it. Not only by external actions, but internally through his love for the Father. And he calls his disciples to do the same. The way that Jesus calls his disciples to be more righteous than the Pharisees is not through external observation, but inward transformation. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments, this is verse 19, and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus isn't talking about keeping and teaching the letter of the law, but about keeping and teaching the heart of the law. See, true righteousness and true holiness isn't about observance, but as I've said, it's about inward transformation of your motives, what you truly love. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the ultimate goal of the Pharisee in his observance of the law was not to glorify God, but to glorify himself. The trouble with the Pharisee was that they were interested in details rather than principles, in actions rather than in motives, and in doing rather than in being. Yet as Christians, we must be supremely concerned with principles, not just details, with motives, not just actions, with who we are becoming, not just what we are doing. We must be concerned not just with observance, but with inward heart transformation, which only Jesus can provide. Now, as a a Bible teacher at a Christian high school for a couple of years before I was at the position I'm at now, and one of the things that we used to do, um, I, I used to teach Old Testament survey, and I would give my my students a, an assignment uh, as we were going through Old Testament. And I would say, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. And I would print out all 613 Old Testament laws. And I would hand them out, and I would say, I want you to keep every single one of these commandments for one day. If you don't, you fail the class. Good luck. And I had people really try. This one lady... I remember one time she came to class the next day. She was wearing a track suit. I'm like, why, why are you doing this? She said, well, one of the laws is that you're not supposed to wear clothes made of one, more than one fabric. And this is the only thing that I had. So she was wearing like this jumpsuit track suit. I'm like, hey, good for you. And she's like, yeah, I really wanted to eat bacon this morning, but I didn't. I was like, okay, great. You're, you're really trying. And then at the end of it, obviously they all failed because no one could do it. And so how many of you guys really, really tried? And they said, man. Yeah, like some of us really tried. Some of them didn't even try. They were like, there's, there's no way. But some of them really tried. And I said, how far down this list of 613 laws did you get before you failed? And some people, you know, they, they would identify different laws. And I said, everyone look at the first law. Do you guys know what the first law is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And have no other gods before him. And when I told the students, I said, can any of you guys look me in the eye and say that you love God the way that he deserved? 
with no other gods before him in the last 24 hours. And what people would realize in that moment is you cannot even get past that first law. But in the gospel, see, Jesus perfectly obeyed and perfectly loved God where we failed and could not. And through faith in his name, we receive the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are transformed. We're sealed with him. And by faith, by his grace, we are being transformed from one glory to the next, anchored in him. And we are given the grace and strength to actually obey that first command, to love God the way that we are designed to in the way that he deserves. And that is not a work of ourselves. That is not because we muster up enough will to love God, but it's by the gospel that has ransomed us by his blood. And by the gospel, you and I are made more righteous than the Pharisees. Not because we're more observant, but because our hearts are being transformed by his grace. And that's the very thing that Jesus promised in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And I'm going to call specific attention to verse 33. It says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Many theologians recognize Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 as the promise of the new covenant which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What does God promise will come in Jesus? There will come a time when the law will no longer be something that is outside of us that we're striving toward, but the law will be written on our hearts through Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. He will secure for us life. Jesus has fulfilled this promise, friends. And may you and I be a people who have faith, who are full of the Spirit, who have the law written on our minds and our hearts, who are distinct as this people who love the loveless and those who are on the outside who are righteous and holy from the inside out, that our Father in heaven may be glorified for his glory and our joy. In Jesus' name. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for Solano Valley Church. Thank you, Lord, for every brother and sister in this room. God, each and every single one of them, Lord, by faith in your name, there is grace there is righteousness and holiness that is available to them, not from just observance, Lord, but from inward transformation by your spirit, by your grace. God, I pray that you would make SVC the type of people, a church, Lord, which worships you in spirit and in truth. God, that by their faithfulness, by their trust in the gospel, that they would be a city on a hill, that they would be salt which flavors and preserves. God, that they would be your witnesses in every corner of Fairfield, Lord, in the North Bay. 
that they would be a people, Lord, which glorifies you with their lives. God, I pray that you would use them. First and foremost, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit and that you would remind them, Lord, of the glory of the gospel. But God, in them delighting in Jesus and in the gospel, that then you would empower them and send them to be a light for your name, Lord, among the nations, starting with right here, God, in this city. God, I pray a blessing upon them. And God, I pray that all things would be for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name. I feel incredibly challenged. I feel incredibly encouraged as well. And Andrew, thank you so much for all of your preparation and for being with us today and for faithfully communicating God's word. We're very thankful you were here, sir. Thank you very much. We are more righteous than the Pharisees, not because of anything we have done, but because of the grace of Jesus in the gospel. Amen? So let's stand together, and as we close out today, let's sing about God's amazing grace one more time. And moms, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you again. On your way out today, Katie and Carly will be by the front door with some special gifts to give to you as you leave. Uh, So be sure to get those on your way out. Let's sing. Let's sing, church. Who breaks? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless? In I wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. And this is, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. And who brings? Who brings the chaos? Back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. And this is. 
This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. By his grace and for his glory, be salt and light this week and beyond. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for being here.